Get ready for conflicts where movie reviews collide. Hello, all, and welcome to a very special episode of Conflicts, the podcast, The Rankening. That was, that was pretty good effect thanks, there. That, thanks, that, I tried. That was, that I was tried. all Laura. So today, it's going to be me, Laura, and... It's me. It's me. <laughs> it's, it's Rich. It's you, Dad Joke. It's, it's me, Dad Joke. Yes. Hey, Dad Joke. Hey, Dad Joke. Because today, in The Rankening... Rich and I are going to be ranking all of the Star Trek TV series from worst to best. And because Nick's just not cool enough, he's never seen them and we didn't invite him to the party. Yeah, Nick's a little lame that way. So we decided he just needed to be here. Actually, I think maybe he decided he didn't need to be here for this. <laughs> um, I don't remember who made the decision. I think that he just doesn't have the intelligence quotient necessary Ooh. to enjoy Star Trek series. Podcast burn right there. He wasn't invited. (laughs) All right. So in case you don't know, and you're one of the losers like Nick, I'm going to go over the series. So we have Star Trek that became known as the original series shortened to TOS. If you're in the know, and it ran from 1966 to 69. Then we have Star Trek, the next generation that we will refer to as TNG. It ran from 87 to 94, followed slash overlapped by Star Trek Deep Space Nine, DS9 for short, 93 to 99. Then we came in with Star Trek Voyager. We're just going to call that one Voyager. There's really no cool way to shorten that. Like you can't call it Voy. It just don't work. No, there's really another good one for that. And I think that's Everybody just says Voyager. I mean, you could call it V'ger, but then that's get confusing with yeah. the motion picture. So whatever. Like Star Trek isn't confusing enough. <laughs> and then they added retcon. Damn it. Uh, Voyager ran from 95 to 2001. Then we have Star Trek Enterprise from 2001 to 2005. We will be covering the five I just listed because we also have Star Trek Discovery, but it is still running and we are only going to be covering the ones that we have seen the full series of. Um, Discovery, in case you care, is on CBS All Access. Started in 2017, still running. Most importantly, uh, Picard is coming to oh. CBS All Access January 23rd, 2020. I literally have it marked in my calendar. I don't know that I've been more excited for something upcoming on TV in my Was it you life. I texted that I cried at the gym? Um, you you texted me and Nick texted me like right away. And it, it was quite this little uh, exchange we had going on back and forth. Yeah. But I am, I can't even describe how excited I am about that. I, I'm like, I'm nervous because if it's not epic. Oh, I'm going to be heartbroken and inconsolable. They, yeah, it's there's no rough. way around it. It's, it's going to be rough. But, but I think it's going to be legit good. It looks so good. It looks good. It really does. The things we've seen so far. And honestly, Patrick Stewart is just a gift to humanity. He is. So anything he does, I mean, how bad could it really be? Anyway, we won't be covering that because it's not out yet, but just know, kids, that all I want for Christmas is Picard. 
All right. <laughs> the so, show or like you want Patrick Stewart to show up to your house? And, yes, please. In uniform. And, okay. Just, just Out checking. of uniform, please. <laughs> well, okay, then we went okay, there already. Sidebar real quick. We're going to dive in. There's an episode of TNG that um, that uh, Tuvok from Voyager is in, not right. as Tuvok, but some they're like shutting down the ship to do like scans or whatever. And Picard's in his equestrian pants. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you about oh. those equestrian <laughs> pants. <laughs> You know, you you have strange fetishes. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw uh, it out like there. Like 1989, uh, Patrick Stewart's <laughs> ass in those pants. I don't know what he was doing, but the whole world should thank him. Yeah, I'm not gonna say anything because you know <laughs> I I had the same crush on uh, Deanna Troy that everybody had. And oh yeah, even to a certain degree, Beverly Crusher. Um, They're both gorgeous. So you know, yeah, I, I I'm I'm not immune to that. I don't think anybody is. <laughs> All right. Like I said before, we are going to be going in at the worst and then ending at the best. And we're going on our personal opinions and we're just kind of going to back these up. So we might have to fight and throw down a little bit, buddy. Yeah. If you hear some screaming and yelling and, and, and punching, that's probably Lulu punching me. I fight and dirty. I'll be screaming. But... <laughs> All right, buddy. What comes in at the worst for you? Okay. Uh, this one was actually an easy pick for me. And... I'm going to just throw out the initial caveat that I don't despise any of these. I think we love all of them. Um, love is a strong word for me <laughs> on some of them. Uh, but let's just say that um, the one that comes in the worst for me, I would describe as mediocre. So the scale is different it's here. It's more of a wah, wah. Yeah, the scale is very different. This was not atrocious. It wasn't awful. It just really missed the it mark for me. great. And that was Voyager. Okay, okay. I really felt that there was, and this is going to be a theme for me, mm-hmm. there was a transition in Star Trek at a certain point. Yeah. We'll get to where that point happened. Uh-huh, because we both know where it was. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it happened a little bit gradually, but there were, it, it wasn't gradual enough, let's put it that way. And, you know, if you look at, say, more, like, more current Star Trek movies, and you go back to, say, like, original movies, and I'm going to talk about movies to avoid talking about the series just a little bit. <laughs> um, but, you know, what we have now are uh, space battle action adventure movies. Versus the original movies, which had a very different flavor and feel. And that transition happened, I think, played out more in the TV series than it did the movies, although Mm -hmm. the movies reflected it as they always did. So that's going to be a running theme for me. But Voyager was the one where I felt that they had completely fallen off the wagon. They no longer had that old style where it was very much about the characters and about the political situations. And it was very much a commentary on culture. I will agree with you there. There was no cultural commentary in Voyager. No, Voyager, it was very much an escalation. And, you know, like I said, even for them, like the Borg, no big deal. Um, We got past that. Oh, time travel. No, we got past that. Uh, I was so excited about going in because I thought it was a neat idea to have them kind of have their own little playground. Mm-hmm. I liked the idea of the female captain. I liked some of the things that we, you know, that we were going to see. And then the execution was just terrible because they forgot to make it Star Trek. Okay. I'm going in a little different. And for me, I have to say it, it's Enterprise. Okay. We're going to start with the theme song. Faith of no one's heart. Shut the hell up. What the? No. What's wrong Mm-mm. with Brian Adams? No. All of the no. It went backward. If ever there was a thing we didn't need, it was more information about a time that had already passed. Like, I don't care. No. Why did it take place in the past? It was unnecessary. I thought the writing was really poor. I honestly just thought it was boring, and that made me angry. I will say, because I have a positive about all of these, even the ones that I dislike... 
Can we just talk about Porthos the Beagle for a second? <laughs> In case you don't know, I have a Beagle and I have had other Beagles and I'm a huge fan. A, I was so excited that there was a dog in Star Trek and then it was a Beagle. <laughs> also, because we're talking about the movies, let's not talk about the movie where Scotty mentions how he lost Porthos because that didn't happen. You know, interestingly enough, I really enjoyed Enterprise for a while. The first season, I, w I was kind of on board. I didn't mind the, you know, it being in the past. I didn't mind, uh, you know, that they were showing some of the historical aspects of it. And I really felt... You apparently didn't mind the Brian Adams. I didn't mind the Brian <laughs> Adams so much because it was kind of a different thing. Uh, you know, to me, mentally, since it was kind of before uh, Starfleet became, you know, what we knew it as later, it seemed to be more of a throwback well, to... Before it really existed. Yeah. It, it was more of a throwback to the feel that they were experiencing at the time. So I, I thought it set the mood okay. I really didn't mind any of that. I thought some of the characters were compelling. I thought some of the acting was good. I thought some of the early episodes had some uh, well-written stuff. But I think they pretty quickly went off the rails mm -hmm. when they got into the temporal time, uh, time war. Um, well, and I think that... The fact that, you know, obviously, aside from the original series, it's the only one that ever got canceled. Yeah. It ran for four seasons. Next Generation, DS9, and Voyager all ran for seven seasons. It did. And it was struggling on that fourth season. It came in at an odd time because I think, as a culture, we were a little worn out on Star Trek because we'd had mm -hmm. Star Trek going on for so long. And I think they just shoehorned that yeah, one Yeah, from in 89 straight through to 05. Honestly, I wish what would have happened is that they would have just held on to it and let that be what Discovery is today. I think that they should have just... I think it was too soon. We weren't ready for another Star Trek series. But interestingly enough, though, Enterprise was next on my list. It is... It's uh, number. It comes in at number four for me. See, we did a little swapsies there, but you go right ahead and you tell us about your thoughts on the Enterprise. Well, you know, I think I pretty much just did. Like I said, I think it started out pretty well, but faded fast. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, and I think some of it was because, uh, you know, people were, were changing the style of, of shows that they wanted to see. And they really couldn't find a groove. They couldn't get back to what they're trying to do. But I think they had some great ideas and a great premise. It just ultimately flooded out. I agree. As I said, my next my next worst has to be Voyager. I mean, I was so excited for Lady Captain. And I, I genuinely love Captain Janeway. I think she is one of the coolest captains character-wise. And... We're going to forgive her for the early seasons, the hair. It wasn't her choice. The cons of that show, it's repetitive plots. It, there was a lack. Okay. There was a lack of like interpersonal development that I just found inexcusable. You are trapped in the Delta Quadrant on this ship of like 130 some odd people for seven seasons. There should have been relationships that came and went there should have been way more babies born than there were there should have been way more fighting than there was people should have been all up in each other's lives because if i'm stuck with 130 people mm -hmm. for seven years straight with nobody else to talk to it's gonna be ugly yes. and it wasn't there should be some sort of, of cabin fever or almost a stock right syndrome going on there should be something and it wasn't there and they just kept repeating, like, how many lame holodeck storylines did we have? How mm. many episodes? I call them the nothingness episodes, where it's like something happens, and then by the end of the episode, it gets undone. Mm -hmm. Like, where it didn't actually happen. The one where the ship splits, and then you see everybody die, and then, oh, wait, it wasn't the real one, because it doubled itself. Like, really? See, I call those the Technobabble episodes, because what happens is, Technobabble, something happens. Something, 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 Technobabble, we fixed it. 
and it, it doesn't it's not a compelling story you know i under, yeah. i understand that the sci-fi elements are, are there but the sci-fi elements can't be the plot they have to well, be and a it's vehicle. not fun when the only sci-fi elements is somebody standing there reading exposition off of their control panel like mm-hmm. that's not science fiction like make it cool y'all yeah give <laughs> that's it, what give we're here something. for well some of those because i felt like they just overall had a lot of weak characters I mean, there were only two, and I think it was kind of supported on the actresses' uh, just pure acting abilities. Yeah. I don't know that the writers gave them enough, but the... Because, I mean, hello, mm-hmm. poor Harry Kim, who's an ensign for seven mm-hmm. years. Really? Yep. Tom Paris got promoted and demoted in the time that <laughs> he was still an ensign. Like, sorry, you suck at your job. We've got nobody to replace you with. Guess kid. you'll have to do. <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough of me crapping on Voyager. I really did like things about it. I think we loved all the things about this. Anyway, I'm very passionate and love Star Trek. I just hate to crap on it. But what what's your what's your neutral? What's right there in the middle for you, Rich? So this is where it might start to get a little controversial. But remember what I said at the beginning where none of these suck? Mm-hmm. So I'm actually going with the original series right in the middle. Oh, we share that one. Oh, really? Okay. I thought mine was going to be controversial. Yeah. We share that right there in the middle. But I don't want to, I'm not going to crap on the original right. series in it any way. It was 1960 whatever. Yeah. And, that, and I'm going to bring up that point. Part of the reason why it's right in the middle for me, because it was actually before my time. You, know, you I, mean you're not that old? No, I'm actually oh not that old. Oh my God. Now I am old enough that they were still showing it. So I caught like the Renaissance. You know, when like it, syndication. When, yeah, when it came back and became popular, because you know it wasn't actually all that popular when it came it out. It really wasn't. It took some time to build, so I caught the renaissance on that, and I, I loved it and enjoyed it, and I recognized that as the beginning. So much of what we have that I, I like the most absolutely came from the original series, and I can't take that away from mm-hmm. it. But at the same time, it was 60s TV, so there was a lot of hokiness. There really wasn't special effects to speak of. and At all. Yeah, and even some of the storytelling style had yet to evolve, so it was, it was a little primitive for it me, I suppose. It was super truncated. It was mm-hmm. very... Yeah, I'm with you on all of it, and it was campy in all the wrong ways, and cheesy and dated, and it was really sexist because it's the 60s TV. Mm-hmm. And and let's just all acknowledge Kirk's weird staccato speech patterns. I don't know if it was a style choice. Love you, Bill Shatner. But dear God, just talk. You know, what I find interesting is at the time frame, it was a con- extremely progressive. I mean, we look at it now and you, oh, you, know, yeah. you make comments like it was extremely sexist. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying at the 60s, like it was literally a show that it was, was groundbreaking. Yeah, it was so progressive. They had to set it in space and make them aliens just because we couldn't say, no, no, we're talking about yeah. sexism and racism. We and I mean, like, I even like totally have that as like my pros for it. It was like, A, it started it all. Mm-hmm. Like it started this whole universe that we're sitting here talking about that had television series on straight through to 2005 and still is making television series and films today. And it made this huge, beautiful, groundbreaking social statement about women, about people of color, mm-hmm. featured the very first interracial kiss did, ever yes. to be shown on television that had to be shot in a way to pass the censors that you couldn't quite tell if they were kissing or not, because mm-hmm. that's the only way the censors would and, let it pass. And the context didn't make it seem as, it, you know, it wasn't just right, these two people been are in love. It was brainwashed. Right. Uh, which I, I've had the pleasure of meeting Nichelle Nichols. And <gasps> that's amazing. Oh, yeah. No, I, did I, have I not ever told you that? No. Yeah, um, Nichelle Nichols and Will Wheaton next to each other. I might have just peed a little bit. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was pretty cool day. Oh, I still remember the day that uh, 
that Leonard Nimoy passed. Mm-hmm. I was at work and went and sat in my car and cried. That's one I never got to. Yeah, I got to meet, but I, I mean, I was a big fan of Leonard Nimoy, obviously, but I never did get to meet him. But uh, several other the cast members, uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting over the years. So jealous. Yeah, I mean, I've been going to cons for a long time. You have. <laughs> you really have. <laughs> All right, so we agree on that one. What is your runner-up? And I can tell you right now that I can just about guarantee we're swapped I, on the next two, buddy. I, well, we almost have to be at this point. And based on conversations we've had before, I'm going to say that we You are. understand my passion. So I do. And what I find interesting here is if I want to... And we're going to psychoanalyze this for just a quick <laughs> moment. I, I think it, it has to be worth saying that... Because uh, I'm, I'm making a prediction here of what we're going to say. <laughs> um, my top... And your top are going to be swapped. And I think that... I think they're going to be swapped for the opposite reasons of you like this thing and I like this thing. Well, I, I think we can, we'll get into it in just a second. But some of it is, I'm going to say that the time frame that was still in my formative years and does, you know some of my younger and even college years, the show that I'm going to pick is the one that was on then. And see, it was the reverse for me. And I think it's the one that you're going to pick is the one that you know was mm-hmm. hitting most of your prime time frame. So I'm going to say that's probably uh, a little bit of it. However, obviously for number two, it is me. It is Deep Space Nine. I can just say this. If it had been lower on your list, we might have had words. No. Second place, I'll allow it. Here, here's why DS9 is number two for me, because I actually really liked a lot of stuff about DS9. Now, remember, scale is skewed here. Right. But the thing that knocks DS9 down for me is, you know, earlier when I kind of referenced this transition that happens, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the, in the way they told stories to how uh, the elements that happened, that all happened over the course of DS9. From the beginning mm-hmm. of DS9 to the end of DS9, you have a very different style of Star Trek. You know, at the beginning... It was very much that next generation spinoff. You had these amazingly cool characters. You had these wonderful storylines. They were, you know, all very relevant. They all had something about culture, whether directly about ours or indirectly. Uh, you know, it was wonderful. By the end of DS9, it was who has more spaceships and what are we blowing up today? And I, I felt like that was the transition that I did not like in Star Trek. So that's why DS9 is number two, because the later seasons of it for me, mm-hmm. really, not, it didn't stay strong for me. We had a lot of really great seasons, a lot of really great stuff. But by the end, that style of transition uh, that I, I don't think it held up on its own. I think it was riding purely on the shoulders of the earlier seasons. Hmm. Well, like you said, <laughs> we're flipped. And my runner up is TNG. Because, I mean, it's like you said, it was... It brought back the nostalgia of the original, especially in those earlier seasons with those, I mean, like the episode when Tasha dies, Mm -hmm. like the sets on that, we're really supposed to believe that's outdoors. But that's also a throwback to TOS where it's like, we all know that it's a styrofoam rock and we love it because it's a styrofoam rock. And it was, it was a nostalgia factor for so many people and it brought it back to the mainstream and it kept it relevant. It had really good storytelling. I mean, like that episode where uh, where Picard is uh, kidnapped by the Cardassians with the lights. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's amazing TV. Yeah, we definitely saw a progression in uh, not only the, um, the special effects, but you could also see that the special effects budget progressed. <laughs> well, I mean, not necessarily that one. It's literally right. four lights pointing well, at him. And it's it's just amazing performance and amazing mm. storytelling that like make you care that this man is being brainwashed. Plus, this is the series that, bought, that brought us Jordi LaForge. And I have a deep, 
and true love for Jody LaForge. He, I mean, it was a great character. And to me, uh, and I'm, I'm probably kind of bl- uh, jumping ahead here a little bit and blurring into my number one, <laughs> um, but the strength of Next Generation for me definitely lies on the fact that even the tertiary characters are interesting. Is Jordy a ter- Are you well, calling he, my Jordy no. a tertiary character, he, I, sir? He, he really isn't. Excuse me. It, it re- he was a blind man who drove the big ship. Okay, fair enough. He's definitely not a tertiary character, but I was. he, he is an example of leading into that. He's Miles O'Brien, tertiary character. Miles O'Brien. Um, Keiko. Keiko. But they were all very interesting. Now, Jordy LaForge was kind of in that. Uh, he was in the interim. He was almost main cast. Uh, even He's, though he really he, was. Started out secondary, he became yeah. more integral, but he really did. But see, even then, the reason why that happened is because they did not neglect those characters. If mm-hmm. they're going to give them time to do something, then they they be they were somebody. They had something interesting about them. You know, in some of the early seasons, uh, you know, like Tasha Yar, she didn't even want to be there, so out she goes. Uh, and then you got Worf, who was just meant to be the security guy. Uh, but look how interesting Worf became. Well, and became integral to the mm-hmm. series. I mean, the franchise on mm-hmm. the whole. I mean, he's freaking wharf yeah these things totally grew so I, that was one of the things they did which honestly ds9 did a pretty good job at that as well initially where you know a lot of these uh, these almost throwaway characters became something mm-hmm. because they made them interesting yeah i definitely have some cons though about tng that i what really keeps it in second place for me is the episodic nature of the storytelling i I I think it's something very divisive in the sci-fi world of are you a fan of episodic or serialized storytelling? And there's no right or wrong. It's literally just a preference. But for me, the episodic storytelling was really truncated and it led to a lack of character development. Poor Deanna Troy. Can we just acknowledge the poor woman had the most truncated character development I've ever seen. She'll have an episode that is a Deanna-centric episode and she'll learn so much. And then the very next episode, she's literally sitting there as eye candy doing nothing. And the same thing happened with Data over and over again. If he he learns this huge lesson and then five episodes later, he's learning the, he's unlearned the episode or the lesson and he's an android. He can't unlearn anything. And there was a lot of sexism that went on in that show it is a product of its time, but it was the late 80s into the 90s, and it progressed less than it should have. And I know enough about the show to know that that was very intentional. The creators of the show were not comfortable with it being anything more. That's mm-hmm. the reason that Gates McFadden left for a while. She was actually fired because she was fighting for the fact it had a lot to do with the the Bev Wesley storyline. And, you know, she's mentioned this. She asked some of the writers, like, have do you have a mother? Does your mother interact with you this way? Have you ever seen parents interact with their child this way? And have you ever seen women react this way? Professional women. And, you know, they eventually had had enough and she was gone for a season. The fans made enough of a stink that, you know, she they came back, back and thank God. But And she was a better character after she came back. Yes, and I'm, I'm poor Dr. Pulaski. I'm not putting that on her, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that maybe there was a certain point where the writers realized that they, they, they had to give her something. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I really thought that she was even better in some of the movies. But they definitely gave her a lot more to, to work with. I, I always loved the uh, relationship between her and Mac- Picard, mm-hmm. where they were... It was more than a will they, won't they? Mm-hmm. It, which would have cheapened it if it had been. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. No, they, they, it was the fact that these were intellectual equals. Mm-hmm. Uh, these were Who very had a history, people. a very deep and complex history. Yep. And there were obviously romantic tensions there, which they acknowledged and knew. Uh, but at the same time, they, they were very good with boundaries. 
So, I, you know, I really liked the way that they ended up portraying that relationship. It wasn't just, hey, are they going to bone? Um, <laughs> you know, well, that's what it had been reduced to in, in other things. But they, they, they definitely had the strength of characters. Uh, and, I, you know, interestingly enough, I really liked that, that episodic nature of it. I liked the fact that mm-hmm. this is a day in the life of the starship. Um, you know, I was recently having a conversation about this and so many of their episodes started out with, we're doing this routine thing. We, we were sent here, uh, on a scientific mission to explore this random or to check out this random thing. And then something happens. And I, I like the fact that not everything is super high drama. Mm-hmm. We weren't sent here to save the world. We're sent here to check out this star that's, uh, imploding and we want to get some research off of that while it's happening. Well, you know what? That is the perfect segue for me to lead into my very best, which for me is Deep Space Nine. And I feel like what Deep Space Nine did so well is while it was a serialized show, it blended the episodic and the serialized so well because so many episodes started with some random scientific exposition. And it's, hey, this has come through the wormhole and or this is here and we're going to scan it or we're unloading this or whatever. And then X, Y, Z happens and it leads to something that the episode unfolds. But then whatever happens in that episode changes people when it carries through to another episode. So it's episodic serialized in that there are many standalone episodes that you don't have to have seen the whole series to get and appreciate. But what happens to those characters continues to be. It's like, How many episodes of TNG did we see that there's this pinnacle moment in a character's life? I mean, sometimes it's something so huge and groundbreaking. And then in the very next episode, boom, it's gone. It's completely undone. And Deep Space Nine didn't do that. And that is ultimately what makes it my favorite because it makes the, if you'll excuse the expression, it makes the most human characters. You know, I don't disagree with your point. Uh, Next Generation did suffer a little bit from the fact that I don't think they uh, had, they didn't plan it that way. They, I think DS9 had the advantage of they learned some of this from Next Generation. You can very much well, see... Well, and Ira Bear fought for it. Yeah. He we, fought hard. Well, you can very much see that Next Generation that was not filmed in sequence. You you can tell mm-hmm. that, you know, the way they were and released... And they didn't care? No. No, they really didn't. That was That was a production decision. So I agree with you that I just don't think that it weakened it enough for me by, by any means. I think, and I think that I I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you were talking about that sentimental, I can still tell you the first episode of deep space nine I ever saw. And I was eight years old and it, (laughs) I, I can remember the room I was sitting in and what I was wearing when I watched it because I was wearing my favorite jammies because I was sick that day. Uh, yeah, see, and I was I was much older. <laughs> I was... <laughs> and it's the it also, my other pros, because I'm not going to shut up about this because I love this show so much, it had the most badass women characters that we had seen yet in the Star Trek universe. Kira Norris, one of my favorite female characters in science fiction, period. I love her and how complicated she is. Um, it didn't make the Federation perfect. It didn't put on blinders and say that it's the be-all, end-all. It had amazing characters and character development, and all of that, to me, was just so amazing. Now, everything has a con, so I do have to include the writing got less stellar in the later seasons. Uh, the storytelling got a little weaker, and it relied too heavily on the war. Um, people didn't get it. The fandom did not get it. And it was not embraced by the franchise. And that really 
led to less respect for it. People are rewatching. There's a lot of people that are rewatching it now that are finding that it holds up better and are embracing it more now than they did because they didn't like the serialized storytelling. And then also, if we're listing the cons, I do have to list the ending. Mm. Uh, that final episode, one of my least favorite series finales of a beloved series ever. Sorry about you, Avery Brooks. Love you. Um, shout out to any of my Deep Space Nine fans. What We Left Behind is a documentary that Iris Stephen Bear made about the legacy that Deep Space Nine left behind. I highly recommend it. It is, uh, I think you can go to their Patreon and buy it. Um, it's not that expensive. Love it, love it, love it. If you love DS9 like me, please go buy it. Not sponsored, but it could be. <laughs> Ding! Yeah, like I said earlier, DS9 is that point where they 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 transition, and I think some of it was trying to appeal to a wider audience mm -hmm. uh, because viewership was was slipping. And like well, said, and it it happened at the time when because this show was the one that was on a network. It's the only one that was on mm -hmm. a network. It was on UPN. It stayed on UPN when UPN merged with CW, and that added to things as well. They went from one studio to a to a joint, and they had a lot of ratings pressure on them when that happened too. That that added to things. You know, and I think it definitely shows. And that's why, you know, it got to the point where, uh, you know, these huge spaceship battles were happening. And as I, I call it, the thing that I liked about DS9 in the beginning is that it was not the center of the universe. It was just the it was stuff happening in the outpost. the ass crack of the universe. But then by the end of the season, it's like the, it's the center of the universe as far as everything. So everything that's happening is happening. And see, I always liked the space battles, but they did rely on them too heavily. There were too many. Well, and I don't mind space battles. Trust me, I love a good space battle. Pew, pew. The problem is there there was an escalation. You know, if you go back to say like the battle of um, uh, you know against the Bork and Wolf three or Wolf three five nine. nine. So like the amount of ships that were destroyed there and the, how much that decimated the fleet, it gives you an idea of how many ships were in the fleet. Well, then later battles of DS nine, they're like, now nah, we're gonna throw a couple hundred star ships at it. Like, whoa, 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 where did that come from in a couple of years? Mm -hmm. You know, why is the no? This is. This is, uh, what, what is this? How you guys are designing and, and pumping out Star Trek or starships at an amazing rate. You know, interestingly enough, um, I was so geeky back in the day that I actually have the, um, the technical manual from Next Generation where it describes the USS Enterprise. Ooh, in I have a blueprint detail. somewhere in a drawer or in a drawer that like opens up. Is it, it's not the Enterprise, it's, it's something else. But anyway, I have blueprints. Well, of... well, this is, it's the Enterprise D and it's got, uh, I mean, Which, it, let's be real, the D is the best enterprise. <laughs> it was a great one. This is like a hundred and some pages. I mean, it goes through in great detail everything that does you can tell you where all the heads are on the ship. It, it does actually. <laughs> um, there were three on the bridge. I there, learned there. You know, there's it's amazing amount of detail, but they also cover a lot of the the techno babble aspects of it, and uh, you know, because there there's a certain point where they're not talking in character, uh, so to speak, and they they talk about you know, replicators mm -hmm. and, you know, what you can and can't actually make in a replicator. Because they say, well, if you have a replicator, why don't you replicate a starship? Obviously, for storytelling reasons, you can't have that in there. Because if you can replicate a starship, then you don't need to. Mm -hmm. Because that, then, you know, your technology is well, progressed beyond that. And you can't fit a starship in a starship to replicate one. Well, you know, I mean, theoretically, maybe you could build a big enough replicator or something. I don't know. But they, they minimize that for that reason. Now, obviously, this is, you know, for storytelling purposes. But you know they they get into uh, a lot of that a lot of that aspect of it, and I, I always thought it was really interesting because you know it, it kind of gave the it, it even chronicled the the point from how long it took them to design that starship to actually build it, and there was like two years of shakedown mm -hmm. cruises. Was it at the shipyards in Mars? Uh, I don't remember which shipyard that was. Because Cisco on. worked there before he was assigned um, to. Because you know they actually laid down the hulls uh, all at once. 
So like they, they said this, there's going to be X number of holes. And I want to say it was only like there were six holes and maybe two extras for they could finish out later. Mm-hmm. It was a very small number. And, you know, so those were the only ships that were going to be produced. And, uh, you know, the, the, I think the two initial were the actual Galaxy and the Enterprise. And, you know, this, this takes time. And then over the course of Deep Space Nine, suddenly they're being able to produce hundreds and hundreds of ships. And I, I don't understand how this was happening. It, 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 they contradicted themselves, and I didn't like it. I thought, this is this is dumb if you're just going to keep escalating things. But and... let's be real. If we're going to talk about all the time Star Trek has contradicted itself, well, fair we're going to be here until next that's October. It's a, a pretty grand scale to, <laughs> to just it's true. start it's making very shit true. up. It changed the feel of it, and that's... Ultimately, for me, why Deep Space Nine got knocked down to number two, because by the end of the seasons, they were doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I, and they were relying on it pretty heavily. I'll grant you that. But the characters there were great. I just, Next Generation is just it for me. It was it was the first show in my life that I watched religiously. It was the first mm-hmm. show that I couldn't wait for an episode to come on, and I actually planned my life around it. You know, I scheduled, yeah. sh- you know, uh, shifts at work. So I could see be back then, night. kids, you didn't have the Netflix and you had to make appointments to watch mm-hmm. your television. And we barely had VCRs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's be honest. The rich folk had the VCRs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, so I was actually in college still when Deep, uh, sorry, Next Generation came out and Deep Space Nine came out in 93. Yeah, it was a couple years later. Um, so I didn't have a VCR when I was in college. Uh, I, well, yeah, because you weren't a millionaire. Well, I mean, you could afford them, but broke college kids didn't often mm-hmm. afford them. I actually got one, I want to say it was like 94. Because my parents got a new one, so I got their old oh, one. Oh, classic. Uh, which worked pretty well. It might have been 95. I don't remember exactly what year I got their uh, old used-up VCR. You got the hand-me-down. Yeah. But, you know, so you had to be there to watch it. It was uh, it was a thing. And that's the first show that I was ever really mine. I ever really, like, had some ownership over yeah. personally. I so. 100% understand. So. All right. Since we have, like, deep-dive nerded off, on the Star Trek series, I have to ask you two very important questions before we depart. Okay. All right. Who is your favorite captain of mm. the franchise? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something a little weird here because um, he, he technically wasn't a captain for much of it, but I am just a huge Will Riker fan. Okay, he's barely a captain. He was commander for an epic amount of time he was now if you remember in storyline wise though he was actually offered a command he and was gave it not up. very far in he gave it up to, well he was offered a command beforehand too and he gave right. it, he gave it up to be first officer because he on wanted the to enterprise serve on the flagship on the enterprise on the flagship he wanted that so bad that he was willing to be first officer and then he stuck around for like 12 years and then he passed up several other commands for it and then obviously at the end he finally becomes a uh, captain what is it about Riker? That makes him your favorite captain. And I know the answer. It's that early episode mm-hmm. where he's wearing that asymmetrical shirt and that one nipple's hanging that, out in his hairy chest. It is com- his uh, complete inability to sit in a chair properly. <laughs> Have you ever seen the video of him doing the supercuts where he always yes. steps over the chair because he's a tall, lanky son of a gun? The poor guy hurt his back. And then in the early seasons, they gave him those onesies and all the dudes were like, my nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Now, here's what I like about Riker, and don't and don't get me wrong, I love Picard. You're never going to hear me bash Captain Picard in any way. But Riker was more my dude, right? Um, he he played trombone. Mm-hmm. I played trumpet. He liked jazz music. I liked jazz music. He was always happy. 
He was a um, space slut. You're a space slut. No, well, <laughs> let's just say I aspired to be one. I failed miserably, but I aspired to back in the I day. I always have respect for Riker as the OG tried and true space slut. He he kind of was. Um, but, you know, he was also, like I said, he was always happy. He was he was always positive. Even when things got tense, he, he was pretty much an upbeat fella for the entire time. And he was also fairly sarcastic. Mm-hmm. But he was very loyal to Picard. He was very protective of Picard. And his he, friends. And his friends. He did the things that first officers should do. And did them very well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really liked those aspects about him. So I, and in many ways, he was actually my favorite character. So I'm cheating a little bit because... Hey, at that last minute, I said in the franchise, and at that last mm-hmm. minute, the literal last like <laughs> hour and a half of his part of the franchise, yep. he became he, a captain. He, he does. And that is, that's why I'm getting by on a technicality on that one. So I, I'm just a huge fan of Riker. I also think that he made uh, the best director. He did make a very good director. I have to go with my obvious choice for my favorite captain. And even though he started out as a commander... Uh, Cisco is my favorite captain because he is the most interesting and compelling and relatable. He starts out as somebody that doesn't even want to be there. He's begging to leave. He's damaged. He's wounded. He's a parent. Hello, groundbreaking. Captains can be parents. Well, he eventually becomes a captain. And he doesn't lose himself per se he becomes more comfortable in his place and he learns to love where he is and eventually ends up staying, but he's still himself. He's still that human. He's not the omniscient. He's not the always perfect. He's not the never going to make a mistake. You know, I did like that about Cisco. I thought it w- he was a great character. Honestly, if I had to rank some of my favorite characters in all of the universe, he'd probably be in my top five at least. Yeah, because he's um, amazing. Yeah, I'd have a hard time knowing. That'd be a tough list to rank, but... Uh, he's definitely up there, but I also like that he had the freedom since he was kind of this guy assigned to the well, outpost. Well, and because he's out there in the armpit of the universe. Yeah, you know, he had a little bit of freedom and flexibility. He could be a little more roguelike, whereas Picard was, you know, in charge of the flagship. He had right. to be prim and proper. And he's out there with this space station that's half busted and the crew doesn't know who mm-hmm. to answer to. And the first episode, they're literally cleaning debris off of the promenade. And it, it's it's very much a, like an exploration between lawful good and chaotic good exactly, in many ways. Exactly, and I love that. All right, so we've established who our favorite captains are. Now, real quick, who's the best captain? (sighs) You know, this is a real tough question because, you know, then we get into this weird pedantic uh, conversation about what makes one the best captain. You're the head of Starfleet, and you have to award the gold star (laughs) to the best captain. Who is it? I'm giving it to Kirk. Oh, M G W T F. What franchise have you been watching? Okay. He breaks the Prime Directive every other day. He does, but here's the, here's why Kirk is probably the best one. I am gobsmacked at how wrong you are right now. But go ahead. Well, no, hang on. Hear me out because I I, I have a th- I don't want to say a theory here, but I have a reason why I picked him because and it's I, wrong. I don't think I'm going to disagree with any of your arguments, but at the end of the day, Kirk got everything done. Like oh, at, so the ends justify the means for you. A little bit, a little <laughs> bit, you know, but if you're looking at who, who actually got the most accomplished, I think at the end of the day, you got to give it to Kirk. And I, you know, and trust me, this is a very, very tough decision for me because I want to go with my gut and say Picard, but if I'm actually going to... it's the right answer. But you know, you know, uh, I, here's the problem. I think to a certain degree, there's a bias between not Picard and Kirk. 
but between Patrick Stewart and William Shatner because Picard was just so much of a better actor. <laughs> but I don't think that necessarily makes him objectively the best captain. No, he's the best captain because he's the one that always kept that professional distance. And that's at the end of the day what matters. I mean, how many times did he follow the prime directive to the letter of the law? I mean, look at the Crystalline Entity episode. Like, this mm-hmm. lady's like, destroy it, it's killing whole planets. And he's like... I can't just destroy it. It deserves to live. The same with Hugh in the I Borg. Hello. He had already been a Borg. And he's like, no, we can't just kill it. And we can't go kill all of the Borg because they deserve to exist. Because he is an enlightened being who knows his job and who does it so very well. Does that make him my favorite, Captain? No. Does it make him the best? Yes. See, I think we hit on something, though. I think I actually hit the nail on the head a little while ago when I said it's the difference between lawful good and chaotic good. I think the difference is you're lawful good and I'm chaotic good because <laughs> I picked Will Riker and Kirk, who are clearly on the chaotic end of the spectrum. Uh, Cisco's on the chaotic end of the he spectrum, is a, too. He is a little bit, too, but I, I think in the right environment, he'd have been more lawful. I, think I mean, he Picard was, was never going to invite the entire senior staff to his quarters to cook them Cajun food, just well, saying. Fair enough. But, I mean, he will use two French anyway. <laughs> he'd have gotten them some wine and some baguettes i think i just probably spoiled french culture that i don't think i was uh, if either. i can get my hands on a bottle of chateau picard <laughs> how has somebody not made that well you, oh, game of, you can buy can labels you? online i don't know if you can buy actual chateau I mean, picard but get, i'm guessing it's gonna happen i can get all the game of thrones wine over here at mcadoodles how and beer oh yeah <laughs> how how is there not a chateau picard there should be yeah get on that please listeners if you would like to send us a Christmas gift, please send us Chateau Picard. <laughs> and I do hope that you have enjoyed this very deep dive into space, the final frontier. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs>